0: Hello, how are you? My name is Elizabeth Dale and I am a Cornish writer, blogger and sometimes podcaster with a little obsession with local history. Yes, that's right, I just love digging into the dark corners of Cornish history to discover that forgotten treasure, that little golden nugget of loveliness from the past, just for you. Anyway, enough silliness. It's been a little while since I recorded anything. I seem to say that every episode, don't I? Sorry. Um, And so, yeah, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. Basically, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone that has donated and everyone that has signed up to become a patron. I really can't thank you enough it it does mean so much to me and it just means that I can keep researching and keep producing these episodes for you so that's I just wanted to say a huge huge thank you to everyone um that has got involved and and donated a little towards my research thank you right so on with today's episode and The story today is kind of inspired by a little trip that I took last year. Me and the other half, we went up to the city of York and along with amazing Minster and the medieval architecture and the awesome Viking Museum, we also took time to go and find the grave of Dick Turpin, probably the most famous highwayman in the UK executed for his crimes in 1739 and buried in the city of York. And it was really incredible to stand beside the grave of a man who is so familiar to us in so many ways. He's really something of a legend, isn't he? His name is one that we've just grown up with. Um, And it just started me thinking, of course, about whether there was a Cornish equivalent. Was the cry of stand and deliver ever heard on the Cornish roads? So that's kind of what the episode is going to be about today. The highway men and women of Cornwall. But before we get into the footpads and the highwaymen, I just wanted to take a little time to actually talk a little bit about the roads of Cornwall. Um, This research sent me down quite a few rabbit holes. Um, And I know that we all complain about the potholes these days, but please just spare a thought for the travellers on Cornish roads in the past. Our roads were notoriously bad. In fact, for much of the time before the late 18th, early 19th century, there weren't really roads at all. There were mostly tracks and most people just got around on foot or on horseback goods were moved about by pack animals and if anyone was traveling any distance or you know even leaving Cornwall at all they usually went by sea because to try and leave Cornwall by road well that was a fool's errand. Of course at this point we could make all kinds of comments about the A30 and holiday traffic and trying to travel on a bank holiday weekend but yeah let's not not go there. So the traveller Celia Fiennes, who visited Cornwall in 1698, described the roads as dirty and full of holes. I've actually written about her travels through Cornwall on my blog and it really makes fascinating reading if you want to check that out. She gives descriptions of the towns and villages that she passed through and her descriptions of the Cornish people are particularly interesting. Anyway, the lack of roads also meant that carts were pretty much useless and um, it said that wagons and carts weren't really in use much at all before the early 1700s. In fact Sir Humphrey Davies mother Grace Millett claimed that when she was growing up in sort of the 1760s there was only one cart in the whole town of Penzance. The roads were just so bad that there was no point in having them. In some places, heavy items would be dragged about on like wooden sleighs because to attempt to move anything with wheels was just not possible. The historian Hamilton Jenkin, writing about the Rose in Cornwall in the early 18th century, wrote that, quote, The Rose of Cornwall remained for the most part in their primitive state, Still following the highland ridges as in ancient times, and descending only to the valleys by breakneck hills where some river or creek had a necessity to be crossed. One area in particular in Cornwall where the roads were really poor was over Bodmin Moor. Travel there was considered particularly arduous and dangerous, and, well, to a certain extent, pretty risky. In fact, there's a really lovely old adage that I came across while I was researching that claims that medieval travelers would actually make out their wills before undertaking a journey across Bob Moor. And it was also said that the, the sort of roaming early Methodist preachers, they traveled all over the country just fine, But they employed local guides to take them across Bodmin Moor because the likelihood of them getting lost or getting into difficulties was considered so high. The Moors had a reputation for for being a little dangerous, really, a little lawless. And this was backed up by the presence of the Knights Templar who I spoke about, actually, in my first ever podcast. Now, they were a Christian military order founded in Jerusa- Jerusalem in 1119. And although they took part in the Crusades, one of their other roles was that they, they were sort of famous prov- for providing protection for pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land. In the 12th century, the knights were given a plot of land on Bodmin Moor. In exchange for this and for the tin that they were able to extract from that land, they provided a place for travellers across the moor to stay and a sort of kind of security, kind of safe passage for pilgrims crossing the moor. At that time, pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land from Ireland or from Wales, for example, they would sail down the coast as far as Padstow And then to avoid the treacherous waters around Land's End, they would disembark at Padstow and walk across Cornwall, walk across Bodmin Moor to Foy, and then take up another ship and continue their journey to the continent by sea. And the Knights Templar were there to bring them that security as they crossed the moor. And it's really not hard to imagine the Moors as being pretty lawless, is it? I mean, the area even today is is really isolated. It's far away from the authorities, far away from the prying eyes of the law. So it's not hard to imagine it as a bit of a hotbed for crime. So, sorry, back to the roads for a moment. In the 1760s and the 1770s the roads in Cornwall started to improve and that was with the introduction of the system of turnpike trusts. This basically meant that tolls started to be charged at intervals along the roads payable by anyone that was travelling along them. It was sort of an early form of road tax, and this money then was put back into the maintenance of the roads, and you know, as a consequence, things started to improve. The first stagecoach running a regular service across Cornwall appeared in 1790. Now, this coach went from Exeter to Falmouth over Bodmin Moor in about 21 hours. And this was considered fairly speedy for the time. There were other coaches doing the same kind of route that literally took days to go the same distance. But the stagecoach basically only stopped to change horses and then it would go on again. And this idea of stagecoaches actually leads me on to think about highwaymen and highway robbery. So I thought it would be worth sort of defining what that actually means. Um, You get this sort of visual image of a man in a mask with a pair of flintlock pistols jumping out in front of a stagecoach or galloping up on a horse and shouting stand and deliver. And of course, you know, that did happen. But highway robbery by definition, was basically a crime, any theft that was committed on a public highway, on a public road. And I don't want to give the impression that the highway robbers and the the highway robbery that we're going to be talking about was really in any way connected to the roads getting better or the stagecoaches, mail coaches arriving. People on foot and people on horseback were just as likely to get robbed. They were just as vulnerable. But I wanted to give you an idea of what travelling on the roads in Cornwall in the 18th century was like. So we're actually going to look at the events of just one day. Tuesday, the 19th of January, 1787. At about 3 p.m. on that day, a Mr Truscott, a surveyor of County Bridges, was riding from St Austell to Los when he was attacked by two footpads. Now, that's the name that's given to highway robbers that didn't have a horse. Anyway, these two footpads must have pulled him up from his horse and they, quote cut him across the face in a terrible manner, end quote, and then made off with £252 that he was carrying, which was the wages of some local workmen. The evening of that same day, two other people were robbed on the road near Bobmin when returning from a market in Wadebridge. And then at about 10pm on the same day, the postboy carrying the mail from Bob to Truro was stopped by a man on horseback he was said to be well mounted implying that obviously he had a quality horse I suppose and this robber brandished a pistol and took the mail bags which contained letters from London to Falmouth and Truro and according to the newspaper accounts there were also some legal documents in them as well. So within a couple of days the post office announced that they had someone that they suspected of being guilty of the theft of the mail, a man called James Elliot. Now I haven't been able to find out too much about James but he was 35 years old and I believe he was from the Padstow area because that's where he tried to hide after the robbery as you'll see. But Cornwall being Cornwall, James couldn't hide for long. A report appeared in the newspapers in late January and it reads last week James Elliot, advertised by the general post office as the person suspected of robbing the post boy of mail near Truro on the 11th was apprehended by the following remarkable means. As a man was riding from Padstow to Bobmin, he passed a person who he thought resembled Elliot, having some faint recollection of him, and saw him go into a small farmhouse. When he arrived at Bobmin, he communicated his suspicions to a friend, who thereupon got some constables and a party of soldiers, who happened to be there. They all went to the farmhouse, and on searching they found under the bed Eliot's clothes, in the pocket of which was a Newfoundland bill which had been protested in London. These convinced them that he was not far off. They therefore renewed their searches and at length discovered the marks of a man's foot on some loose corn in the upper room, which led them to a hole under the thatch where they found him in his shirt. So it seems clear that the farm where Elliot was hiding um, was close to Padstow and because he was from the area, he was passed by a man who recognised him unfortunately. So James Elliot was arrested and then convicted of highway robbery, of stealing the mail at Launston Assizes on the 6th of April 1787, and then he was actually executed by public hanging on the 10th of April at Bodmin Jail. So leaving poor Elliot behind and our first case of highway robbery, this next story is actually one of my favourites and it involves a footpad, that is a, a highway robber without a horse and this story takes place on the Roseland, a few miles from the village of Tregony at a lonely junction known as Bessie Beneath. There is a small cottage there that dates from the 17th century and it's called Bessie Beneath Cottage and it was once an inn and then later a blacksmith's forge and the crossroads itself appears to have been the site of the local hangman's gibbet. Now, there are a few stories about how this place came by its unusual name. One version is that Bessie was a witch who was hanged and buried close to where these roads meet. But the other local legend has something more of the ring of truth about it, I feel. Bessie is said to have been Betsy or Bessie Nancurvis, who was from a wealthy Cornish family and was the lady-in-waiting to Lady Mary Killigrew of Awenock in Falmouth in the 16th century. Now the Killigrew family, as well as being one of Cornwall's oldest and wealthiest families, were also notorious pirates. And Bessie's story first appears in print in 1780 in a book by a man called Dobson which was entitled The Lives of the Killigrew Family of Arwenock. Now I haven't been able to trace a copy of this book so I'm only going from a newspaper article that I read which was printed in the Western Morning News in December 1922 but according to that article which is quoting from the book it seems that Bessie decided to strike out on her own to sort of have her own criminal career perhaps. Perhaps inspired by her boss, the Lady Mary Killigrew. So she left the Killigrew's service and disguised herself as a man and became a highway robber, levying tolls to those that wanted to use the roads around the Roseland. Now it's said that Bessie was very successful as a footpad for nearly 20 years and she was perhaps protected from arrest by the sort of power and influence of her former employers and her own wealthy family. She said to have had her own motto, which was, quote, "'My friends take me on trust. "'My enemies, if they exist, can take me as they please.'" How Bessie's career as a highwaywoman finally came to an end is a little uncertain. The local legend says that she was shot while trying to rob someone and managed to make her way to the cottage near the crossroads, which is now known as Bessie Beneath. Now, at that point, the cottage was an inn and the landlord knew her well. He took her in. He gave her sanctuary while she was recovering from her wound. But unfortunately, Bessie died a few days later and the landlord was left in a really sticky situation he had a very difficult decision to make because he'd been hiding her from the authorities and he could hardly now sort of produce her body for a church burial so he decided he would bury her beneath his kitchen floor The alternative version of this story was recorded in the article that I mentioned in the Western Morning News in 1922. And this one says that Bessie's luck finally ran out when she was 45 years old and she was apprehended by the local sheriff and hung at the crossroads and her burial place is presumed to be be sort of beneath where the cottage now stands today or at least close by. So I want to end this episode on uh, one more tale that I came across in this research that I'm afraid to say I did find rather amusing. So I decided that I wanted to tell you it here. And it's about a rather a hapless highway robber, burglar, horse thief and escapee from Bobbin jail. Meet Thomas Coombe, alias Thomas Pring, who, to be frank, got himself into a bit of a pickle in 1828 now Thomas was said to have been an incorrigible thief apparently he was youthful in appearance but we mustn't be fooled he was a hardened criminal in 1824 he had been convicted of the burglary of a house near Truro and sentenced to seven years transportation However, it seems he he never actually got sent abroad. In fact, he was languishing for several years in one of those horrible prison hulks. He was actually on board for about four years, which we can imagine was a pretty unpleasant experience. But because of his so-called good behaviour, Thomas's sentence was being reduced and according to the newspapers, he was due to be released fairly soon. With this in the offing, he was moved from the Hulk to Bodmin Jail, and for some reason, best known to Thomas himself, he decided that this was the moment to try an escape. According to the papers, he did this by, quote, breaking through the ceiling of where he was confined, end quote. Don't even get me started on the security of some of Cornwall's prisons. Um, I wrote about that as well. Anyway, he escapes and then immediately breaks into a stable in Bobmin, steals a horse and makes off across Bobmin Moor in his search for freedom. But I get the feeling that Thomas perhaps wasn't the sharpest tool in the box because he didn't get very far. In fact, he made it as far as Jamaica Inn before committing another crime. He arrived there after dark, we can assume everyone was in bed. He broke in through a lower window and stole a silver watch, a hat and some quote other items. But I'm guessing that he was fairly disappointed with his haul because Jamaica Inn was a temperance house at this point which meant there was no alcohol on the premises at all. It didn't actually get its license until the 1950s and I get the feeling that Thomas might have had something of a thirst. So from Jamaica Inn he rode for the border but perhaps growing in confidence and still rather thirsty he made another stop at a farm near stoke Climsland, but this was not just any old house that thomas decided to pay a visit it belonged to a farmer called mills and this was someone that thomas coombe had robbed before in the past so he breaks into the house and he steals some plate and bingo a number of bottles of spirits And Thomas then decided to congratulate himself on his successful escape and his mini crime spree by having a little tipple in the orchard next to Mills's farm. So he ties up the horse that he has stolen from Bobmin to a tree and settles down with a bottle which he drinks from freely and then promptly falls asleep underneath the hedge. Early next morning, Farmer Mills happens to come along and discovers this sleeping man in his neighbour's orchard and recognises him as the man who has robbed him in the past, but cleverly decides to let him carry on snoozing while he goes off to fetch some assistance. The newspapers wrote, quote, The person who discovered him did not immediately disturb the desperado, but retired quietly and, having procured assistance, secured the drunken ruffian, who was then safely lodged back in his old quarters in Bodmin Jail the following Friday evening, having broken prison, committed three robberies, and afterwards got drunk in the course of 18 hours. Well done, Thomas Coombe. You have to wonder don't you if he had just stolen that horse and ridden for the Devon border he probably would have got away but no his desire for drink and to return to some old haunts they were his undoing. So I hope you enjoyed that story. I hope you enjoyed all of the stories that I've put together about our Cornish highway men and women. I just i've really enjoyed researching this one um they they've been a little a lot of fun to to look into but particularly bessie i think i think i love her she's amazing and i want to know more about her life Anyway I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed putting it together and if you have please don't forget to leave me a review or a rating on whatever platform that you're listening to this on it really really helps just to to boost my numbers and get me out there to more people so thank you ever so much for listening and I will speak to you very soon bye -bye.